Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Hello, listeners. Today is October 20th, 2016. We're going to have a wonderful guest. His name is John Vespasian. And we're going to be talking about the key to stress release. We're going to be looking back into history, and we will also become educated on what made certain people handle stress better than others, and how and why did they become successful and famous in their lives. So let me bring John onto our show now. By the way, he is the author of over seven books, and he really enjoys looking back into history. Hello, John. How are you? Hi, Denise. How are you doing? Um, hello, and thanks for having me, Anna. Uh, yes, from... I'm, I'm calling from uh, calling from Europe now. It is um, it is 1 a.m. Uh, now in the Netherlands. Let's explore this topic because it's really a passion of yours. And I'm also curious over the fact you became dissatisfied with personal development books out in the marketplace, and that in turn motivated you to write your own. But there had to be some other factors that motivated you as well. Uh, well, um, in addition to my dissatisfaction with, um, with uh, most uh, personal development books, I have always had an interest in writing for many years. And I think uh, both things came together at a certain point, and I started to write uh, books. And I have been doing this uh, now since 2008. Did you wake up one morning and say to yourself, I'm going to start writing books? Uh, well, uh, yes, at a certain point, I decided to write uh, my first book. And um, I did it during my holidays, so it's, uh, I had four weeks of holidays. And uh, I wrote the, the full book, the first book I published, I wrote it uh, during these four weeks. Uh, well, I have to say that uh, I, I did, um, uh, it was very intensive because I think I did uh, like uh, nine hours every day, including Sundays and Saturdays. But uh, I, this is the time I had, so I have to do it in four weeks, and I did it in four weeks. Uh, yes, okay, there was some planning involved, and uh, this is the time it took me to write the first draft. Then, uh, of course, I have to make some edits, and it took uh, forever to edit uh, the book. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it, was, it was do or die, because otherwise I would never find the time to write a book. What were you doing professionally at the time? Um, well, I continue to do it. I have uh, developed for many years a commercial career. So I'm doing the books uh, for the moment on the side. Uh, but the audience is growing, and eventually I will get uh, to write uh, full-time. A great goal. Follow your passion, right? Uh, yes, indeed. I'm, I'm planning to write books at least for the next uh, decades. So I'm very very much uh, involved in uh, taking notes and planning the next books and i have material uh, sufficient material for the i think for the following years to continue to write books let's now start talking about stress and stability in life 
and how certain people achieve their success. Uh, yes, I wrote uh, a book about the stress relief a couple of years ago, and it's one of the most uh, popular because it's a very, very uh, frequent uh, phenomenon. And the strategies I have uh, presented in the book, they are based on real cases. They are not uh, theoretical. They are not um, taken from textbooks. They are taken from history. So what I have done is to analyze the, the lives of um, a dozen people uh, from different uh, historical periods, people who have to face extreme um, adversity and extreme uh, stress in their lives, and to try to draw conclusions, uh, practical conclusions, about uh, how to cope with stress uh, in difficult situations. So the name of this particular book is called Consistency, the Key to Permanent Stress Release. Uh, yes, the, the, the subject of the book, the main idea of the book, is that um, you can use uh, little tricks uh, to try to reduce your stress uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. So, I mean, you can use relaxation, you can use um, um, meditation, I mean, you can use different things. But if you want to reduce uh, your stress dramatically uh, in the long term, uh, you need a, a very much uh, consistent strategy. Because uh, in my research, what I have found is that what makes uh, human beings extremely stressed uh, on a regular basis is our tendency uh, to pursue uh, conflicting goals and to try to do um, opposing uh, activities uh, all the time. So we try to, to chase uh, too many rabbits. And this is a pattern that I have found over and over again in the, all the cases I have studied. Well, that's interesting. Can you give us an example of, of uh, one of those case studies? Yes, um, this is one of the, of the stories I tell in the book. It's the, the story of um, Andrew Carnegie, uh, who was a, a great uh, industrialist um, in the it was early 20th century or nine, uh, late uh, 19th century. And Carnegie, who, who had uh, many um, uh, industrial interests, uh, had a very, very high level of stress in his life. I mean, he had to deal with uh, heavy competition, he had to deal with politicians, he had to deal with uh, massive um, um, uh, strikes in his factories. And the way he coped with, with the stress is very interesting uh, because at a certain point uh, he had to decide uh, how to manage his uh, different interests and his, uh, his high pressure. And the way he did it, and this is something that I analyze uh, in great detail in the book, uh, was basically not by doing more but by doing less. Um, by trying to close systematically all the activities in his business that were not high performing. And the, the example, I mean, he did it this many times. It was very much uh, counterintuitive, but uh, he managed to reduce his stress and to become very successful by systematically uh, destroying and closing and shutting down everything that was not optimal. Interesting. So you would um, relate that to personal lives, when we're chasing too many rabbits, as you say. Yeah, let me just give you an example. Uh, one of the problems that um, Carnegie found, which is something that we find uh, very, very often in our lives, is that sometimes he invested uh, a lot of time and a lot of money uh, to build something new, to build a new factory, uh, like we do very often to, to, to try to build our career or to try to build a relationship or to try to build uh, anything in our lives. And then he found that uh, the whole idea was a waste of time because he had to face uh, a new technology or a new competition or a new market 
and he discovered that uh, all his investment had been basically wasted. And it's very, very difficult uh, for human beings to admit that uh, we have invested uh, a lot of work in doing something, doing a, developing a career, a relationship, or investment. It's very difficult to throw in the towel and say, this is a waste of time or a waste of money. And Andrew Carnegie was very exemplary in that uh, he systematically, he was able to shut down um, new factories that have obsolete technology and to lose money in the short term uh, to become much more uh, effective in the long term. So personally, if somebody's under a lot of stress and they're, they're involved in all kinds of different activities and different relationships and they're, you know, they're working, how do you reduce your stress? Well, um, you have to identify um, the actual reasons for stress. So this is why I'm so skeptical uh, sometimes about um, uh, small fixes, uh, because you can certainly reduce stress uh, through relaxation and, and meditation. But if you really want to reduce stress um, in a substantial uh, way, uh, dramatically, you really have to take a look at your life, like uh, Carnegie did when he take, took a look at his businesses. And you mm -hmm. have to see what is not working. And you have to see uh, if you are chasing too many rabbits, if you're trying to do too much, if you're running in opposite directions. And once you identify the, the actual uh, path or the actual line that you want to pursue, then it's relatively easy to reduce stress because you can start uh, optimizing activities. You can start uh, shutting down uh, activities that are not working. And then it's very easy to reduce stress. But this takes uh, some thinking and certainly it cannot be done overnight. Yeah, I imagine it's, it's a lot of time involved in, in sorting through all of that. It's kind of like yes, uh, peeling uh, an onion. Um, yes, but uh, there is no good alternative. Um, sometimes people will be able to do it alone. Sometimes uh, they will need a therapist. But um, the, what is the alternative? The alternative is to continue to suffer a massive amount of stress. I mean, when you look at the population uh, in an industrial country like the United States or in Europe, uh, you see that the number of people suffering from anxiety and stress and um, uh, problem with sleep is really massive. I mean, you are talking about uh, dozens of millions of people, and the only way to actually solve these kind of problems, in my opinion, is to, uh, to become more consistent, uh, to become more rational in our lives, because everything else is only short-term relief. If you want to have uh, long-term uh, relief in stress um, or anxiety or any kind of uh, problem, you really have to become a bit more rational and a bit more consistent. And this is mm -hmm. uh, the, the result of my research of really dozens of historical cases. So how would you relieve stress in a tense situation? Well, um, another thing which is uh, completely counterintuitive is that um, when you're facing conflict and opposition, as uh, it happens very often in life, um, we all tend as human beings uh, to fight and to engage in conflict and to try to, um, to impose our ideas or to impose our views. And what I have found also by, by researching um, different cases in history is that this approach tends to be massively inefficient. Uh, what is uh, much more efficient and much more difficult to do uh, when you're facing a conflict or facing repeated, especially repeated um, tense situations is to pull back and to try to find alternatives. And this is very much counterintuitive uh, because uh, as human beings, we tend to become very much um, uh, work up when we have to face conflict. But most of the time, it is much better to pull back, uh, to try to find an alternative 
and to circumvent the problem altogether. No, that's good advice. Yes, uh, and one of the, um, uh, the stories I like to tell in my books is um, how actually uh, uh, the Russians uh, defeated uh, Napoleon, uh, which is precisely this strategy, the strategy of uh, withdrawal. Because uh, when Napoleon invaded uh, most of Europe, everybody tried to fight, everybody tried to, um, to win uh, battles against Napoleon, which was very difficult because he had a huge army and a huge amount of resources. And the Russians, this, um, actually, they did exactly the opposite. They just uh, retreated. They let uh, Napoleon go up to Moscow with his 100,000 uh, people army. And then they just took away all the food. And when Napoleon was uh, conquering Moscow, and actually he moved into the, the, the Kremlin in Moscow, he found himself with an uh, empty city, with no resources, and with an army of 100,000 people he had to feed and he had no food. So actually the, the Russians uh, defeated Napoleon just by pulling back. And this is an important lesson because most conflicts in life, they can be actually solved um, by withdrawal instead of by uh, fighting. Oh, that's a, that's a really interesting story. Did the soldiers all, all die in the city from lack of food, or did they just retreat? Well, uh, 70% died because, um, I mean, to feed 100,000 people is almost impossible. I mean, they, at the beginning, they just uh, tried to eat up the horses, and they started to, uh, to, find, uh, to try to find food uh, around Moscow, but the Russians had really taken away everything. They tried to retreat because they could not actually do anything, uh, the winter came in. It was uh, minus 10 yeah. degrees Celsius, and That's then many soldiers actually uh, froze. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was probably in the dead of winter. I mean, uh, Russia is massive. It's just a massive land mass, land area. Hard. Yeah, the example is not only, I think, uh, for a military strategy. Huh? I think mm-hmm. uh, many relationships in life, when you're being uh, abused or you're being mistreated in any way, uh, sometimes you have just to stand up and say, look, this is not acceptable. But on many other occasions, it's, uh, it's, it's much better. You say, okay, fine, I don't like it. I will find an alternative. And it takes more work uh, most of the time to find an alternative, um, even sometimes to get a divorce. It takes much more work than trying to fix a problem that cannot be fixed. In your book, you, you talk about um, choices that you can make to enhance your self-reliance. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yes, this is uh, super important if you want to reduce the stress because one aspect that uh, repeatedly makes people uh, very anxious and very stressful is when you have the feeling that you don't have control uh, in your life. Uh, when people feel completely uh, overwhelmed by a situation in their finances, personal finances, in their relationships, um, in their work environment, and the only solution that is going to help in the long term uh, is to become more self-reliant, which might involve uh, to improve your skills, uh, to have mm-hmm. a better job, uh, to mm-hmm. improve your career, to try to improve your relationships, but sometimes basically by changing um, uh, your circle of friends. Mm-hmm. This takes a lot of work. But if you improve your self-reliance by improving your number of choices because you become more skilled and you become much more effective at what you do, uh, you can reduce your stress by 90%. Because um, if you just become more independent and you have more choices, you will immediately increase your uh, self-confidence. And this is uh, something that is very much linked to stress. Uh, The more Mm -hmm. self-confidence you have, uh, the lower the stress. That's an excellent point. 
Yes, and I, I can give you, um, I think, an example from, uh, from history, uh, which I like very much because it's very much um, linked to psychology. And it's the, the story of uh, Sigmund Freud, uh, who is a very famous uh, psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. And Sigmund Freud, who is now regarded as a major success in his career, at the beginning he was a total disaster. And this is something that not many people know, but he was very stressed. Uh, he was um, very much uh, in financial straits because he studied uh, medicine in Vienna and he had a very, very crappy job because he was working as an intern, uh, doing many, many hours with a very low salary. He had uh, very poor prospects because there were many, many doctors, uh, unemployed doctors or very lowly paid doctors in Vienna. And he only became uh, very much in control of his life and very much successful uh, by increasing his self-confidence, by becoming a specialist in a very, very small um, area. And he did so uh, by trial and error. Because at a certain point, uh, Freud realized that he was not going anywhere in his career. Uh, he was just uh, a very lowly paid uh, intern. He wanted to get married and he had no money. Uh, he started to try different things. And just by sheer uh, persistence, in the end, he came up um, to... Um, to a, um, a newspaper article he read uh, about a doctor in Paris, about Charcot, who was trying uh, hypnosis on his patients. And he took the train to go to, um, to Paris just to take a look at uh, what Charcot was doing, even if, if um, Freud could barely speak French. He spent a few days uh, taking a look in Paris, and then he decided to apply the, the idea of uh, hypnosis uh, in Vienna. And it was very innovative. It was very much uh, a complete um, breakthrough. And he became very famous very quickly. And this is how Freud started uh, his uh, fantastic career as a psychiatrist. But uh, at the beginning, he was, it was a mess. It was very much uh, discouraging. And he only became very much uh, uh, trying different things. So the, the story is very interesting because uh, also for psychologists, uh, I think it's a good example. But uh, it teaches you that the only way to really get control of your life is to increase your skills, to increase your number of choices, and to become more self-confident. Now, that's, that's an excellent example. Yes. What I like to do in my books is basically to take um, different examples from history. Um, most of them are from the United States and from Europe. And sometimes I also take uh, examples from Asia, from Africa. Uh, but the, you find the principles are universal. They are always the same. And it does not really make a difference whether the example is from the Middle Ages or from the 18th century or now. The, example, the, the, the principles are exactly the same. Well, I, I think what it really comes down to is self-improvement requires a lot of work. You have to do the work. Yes, uh, you have to do the work. And um, something that you will not find, I think, in many uh, personal development books is that you not only have to do the work, but you have to try to become more rational. And this is the thread that goes through my books uh, from the beginning to the end. I'm very much skeptical about um, uh, psychological uh, ideas that uh, build on subjective thinking. And I'm very much skeptical about uh, positive thinking and the law of attraction. I think it is very good to become optimistic. It's very good to try to, uh, to develop um, uh, good ideas. But in the end, you have to do the work. Uh, you have to have a plan which is uh, feasible, and you have to actually get results. And all my books are based on practical uh, solutions and practical ideas to try to increase your self-confidence through real results.
Uh, this is why I'm, um, most of the time I'm very much skeptical about uh, positive things. That's interesting. I, I run across very few authors who don't promote positive thinking. And maybe I'm misinterpreting what you're, what you're saying, but uh, I, I truly don't believe that negative thinking gets, gets people anywhere. As far as um, ideas are concerned or situations, it typically takes like three positives to counteract one negative situation. Positive thinking yes. gives people hope. It gives them motivation for change. Yes, I understand uh, that, Denise. But my point is that um, whether it's positive or negative, I think uh, this is the, the, the wrong focus. I think uh, focusing on the, on the subjective uh, feelings and saying, okay, I'm going to be positive, I'm going to be negative, I think for most people uh, it takes too much work. It is much better to focus on practical solutions. And if you have a stress, and I think it's much better to increase your self-reliance by improving your skills, by improving your strategy, by improving your consistency, I think those strategies, those practical um, uh, strategies, I think for most people are easier than positive thinking because positive thinking on many occasions is going to work fine, but it takes a lot of energy to motivate yourself to say, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to make it, uh, I'm going to be successful. I mean, and to try to, to, to improve your mood and to improve your um, uh, mental uh, attitude I think for most people, it consumes a lot of energy, and I'm very much in favor of practical solutions that can be implemented without having to be extremely positive. Because to mm. become, when you are depressed and when you have uh, problems, it's very difficult to become positive. I think it's much easier uh, to try to get a practical solution that is going to improve your life, and then indirectly, uh, you will become more enthusiastic. I agree, however, when people are extremely depressed, they they lack motivation. Um, this is absolutely true. Uh, when people are depressed, they tend to become passive and they tend to become um, very much um, uh, defeatist and they don't believe that they can improve anything. And in my experience, from the cases I have studied, um, there is a solution for that. And just, just let me just uh, tell you a story. One of the, one of the um, uh, remarkable stories I, I really um, uh, address in my books is the story of uh, Josepha Bale, who is not very much uh, well-known in the U.S., but is, is well-known in Europe in history. Josepha Bale is a case of uh, someone who had to go through terrible circumstances in his life because uh, he was taken prisoner uh, when he was uh, participating in the war against Russia. He was in the Napoleonic army. And he was taken prisoner. He was taken uh, 2,000 kilometers uh, away from Moscow, and he was put in a prisoner camp. Uh, for two years, he had to go through terrible situations, and he was almost starving uh, several times. And in the end, he managed to, um, to get uh, released. Uh, he walked back all the way to, uh, to Belgium from Moscow, and he rebuilt his life completely. And what is fascinating about the story, because then he wrote his uh, autobiography, what is mm -hmm. fascinating is that while everybody else in the prisoner camp was totally depressed, uh, totally despairing, uh, totally ready to kill themselves, Abel kept uh, a very positive, a very um, optimistic uh, view uh, all those years. And this question is, of course, how did he manage to do that? Because he didn't have positive thinking. He didn't have uh, the law of attraction. He didn't have anything else. And the story I find fascinating because 
uh, he teaches uh, in his uh, autobiography how he did it. And the way he did it is something that you can apply uh, to anyone who has uh, depression or anxiety. And the way he, um, he actually recommended in his book is that when you're going through a very difficult situation and you're depressed or anxious or uh, worried about the future, it is much better to try to find stories of people who have overcome those situations and to try to imitate what they did. And in the case of Abel, instead of uh, getting depressed and instead of getting um, uh, completely uh, discouraged, what he did was to, to actually to learn the stories of other veterans who had uh, escaped from prisoner camps and who had actually returned to Europe. And he tried to imitate what they did. And he kept going and going and going for years uh, just because he knew stories of other people who had uh, overcome similar problems. How did he learn about those stories if he was a prisoner? Uh, because he was in the army. He was um, uh, in the Napoleonic army for several years because he had um, experiences. He was in the war against Austria. Then he was in the war against Germany. And, and then he was in the war against Russia. So he had uh, been in the army for nine years. And he had talked to a lot of veterans, a lot of people who had been um, through difficult situations in different places. So he actually learned the stories. And uh, when he was in Moscow and everybody else was completely despairing and actually starving, uh, he kept going and he actually was eating, um, uh, it's very interesting, in his biography he says he was eating uh, horse blood mixed with uh, flour just to keep himself alive. And while people were falling like flies, uh, this guy just kept going and going and going. And this is because he had um, in his mind the idea that he could survive. Through his knowledge. Yes, and um, maybe his knowledge was not perfectly accurate, but uh, I think uh, with this approach, uh, it is much easier uh, to keep yourself motivated uh, for a long uh, period of time. It is much easier than positive thinking, because if you are mm -hmm. in a completely uh, bad situation and you have uh, people around you completely discouraged, uh, to keep yourself motivated, you need to have a reason and you need to have some logic. Otherwise, it's very difficult uh, to become positive. Rather than sitting there and saying, oh, things are going to get better. I know they're going to get better. They will get better day in, day out. Yes, uh, Denise, let me just give you another example, which is uh, from a completely different um, uh, area, which mm -hmm. shows uh, this principle in a very, very clear way. And this is the, the story I tell in, uh, in a, one of my books about uh, Howard Carter, who was an archaeologist in the, in the early 20th century. And he became very famous because he discovered the, the tomb of uh, Tutankhamun in Egypt. So he became one of the most uh, famous archaeologists in history. But what's really fascinating about uh, the story of Carter is that uh, he spent, uh, be before he became successful, uh, he spent uh, 10 years of his life uh, making holes in the ground, I mean, literally under the sun, very, very hot uh, sun of Egypt, and with very little money, because he had barely um, uh, sufficient money to fund his excavations, he spent uh, 10 years in the sun uh, making holes in the ground, finding barely nothing. I mean, he was completely ridiculed by all the uh, professors and by all the specialists because he was looking for the tomb of Tutankhamun. And everybody thought, all the specialists thought that uh, it was a waste of time because mm -hmm. they thought that this tomb had been pillaged uh, hundreds of years ago. And actually, Carter was one of the few persons in the world who thought that uh, he had to be there. And he kept going and going and going for 10 years uh, being completely ostracized by the professionals, and in the end he became successful. And the story is fascinating because you could ask yourself, 
how did he keep going uh, for 10 years when he was completely ostracized and ridiculed by the newspapers? And the story is fascinating because the way he kept going and keeping himself motivated and keeping himself uh, relatively uh, in a low stress situation is because he became rationally convinced uh, by looking at the sources of ancient, uh, ancient Egyptian uh, hieroglyphics. He learned to, uh, to read ancient Egyptian. He looked at the sources and he became rationally convinced. He was 100% sure that uh, the two have to be there. And every time he was attacked, he said, no, 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 I have checked the sources. I have checked uh, the original uh, Egyptian uh, sources from ancient Egypt, and I'm sure it has to be here. I just have to find it. And he kept going and going and going for 10 years, and eventually he became successful. And the story is fascinating because he didn't use any positive thinking. He was just convinced. Yeah, he was, he was, uh, he was rationally he was convinced. And um, uh, the, the idea that he had to fight uh, a very difficult professional situation because he was completely ostracized by his uh, contemporaries uh, is a good example of how you can reduce stress in your own life. Love the story. It's a great story. What else do you have to add about um, stress? Well, um, another principle that um, I find uh, worth mentioning, and you will not find this kind of, uh, I think, idea in other uh, personal development books, is that uh, the idea that uh, people can improve their stress uh, just by setting goals is not always true. And this is why uh, I'm very skeptical about this uh, law of attraction uh, kind of stuff, because if you read these kind of books, they will tell you, look, if you are stressed, if you are depressed, if you are anxious, it's because you have no goals, uh, because you have no plan, because you have no strategy, and all you need to do is to get a goal and to implement a plan. And this sounds very much um, convincing, but when you go to actually to, to real cases, the truth is that when someone is depressed or anxious, it's very difficult uh, to, uh, to identify goals and to have a strategy because people are busy with their own feelings, with their own uh, emotions, and it's very difficult to become uh, focused and to become uh, productive. And this mm -hmm. is why... Uh, I, I prefer to propose a, a different strategy, and I analyze this in my books, and um, this is the following strategy. When you're really um, uh, in a very bad situation where you don't know what to do, and this happens very, very often in life when you have uh, complex problems, when you're experiencing uh, setbacks in different areas of your life, sometimes it's not easy to find the goal and it's not easy to find the solution because the problem is just too complex and because you're too confused and too depressed and you just don't know the solution. So if you try to push yourself uh, into certain direction and to say, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and you don't know what you're doing because you are still very much uh, confused and very much uh, stressed, I think this is the wrong strategy. And I think it's much better uh, when you're facing a situation which is uh, very much uh, confusing and very much complex, it is much better to try to just stabilize your situation, to try to reinforce the situation you have, to try uh, still not to get worse, and to try to gain time at least for a few weeks or a few months until you achieve uh, clarity in your thoughts and you achieve clarity in your situation. And um, this is something that... Um, it's also very counterintuitive because um, when you are um, facing problems, everybody's going to tell you, ah, you need to have a goal, you need to have a plan. 
But uh, when you put yourself in the situation of someone who is depressed or who is anxious or who is just uh, totally confused, to go from that situation to a situation of uh, productive goals um, in a short term, in my experience, it's almost impossible. Yeah, I've run across uh, people in situations like that. And even when you try to give them advice and you think it's good advice, they're not ready. Yeah, I have uh, actually taken this uh, strategy from, from chess. And I think the story is, uh, is worth telling because one of the, the, the patterns that I find in, um, when you study uh, different historical cases is that it is much more um, reliable to look at what people do than what people say, because sometimes people become successful and become, um, they become uh, unsuccessful and they don't know why, and they just give you uh, their opinion, but sometimes it's not true. And mm-hmm. I prefer to look at uh, cases where people actually um, prove uh, what they are doing. And one of my favorite cases in, the, in these situations of confusion and depression and anxiety is the story of uh, Mikhail Tal, who was uh, a, a chess player, a world champion in the, in the early 19th century, sorry, early 20th century. Tal uh, became uh, very much known because he was able to win very difficult games. I mean, games that were completely messy, completely uh, unpredictable, very much complex. And he was able actually to find a way over and over again. And uh, when you analyze his, his style, uh, because he was also, uh, he had the same personality in life. I mean, he was a chess player, uh, very much uh, high risk. And in his life, he did uh, basically the same. And when people try to analyze uh, how he became so successful and so much uh, able to cope uh, with high stress, um, the strategy he proved in his games is something you can learn from your own life if you want to reduce your stress. Because uh, Tal uh, was able to win very difficult games just by taking the initiative. And sometimes he would just uh, sacrifice uh, a bishop or a knight when he was playing chess. And when people ask him, why are you doing that? Why are you trying to, um, um, to try to get everything complicated? And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. Uh, it is much more important when you're playing a game, a, a game of chess, it is much more important to take the initiative and to try to, try to put um, some line of action in your thoughts or in your action, in your game, it is much more important that uh, how well you're doing. And sometimes it's important uh, to try to, to start uh, getting in the right direction before you actually know where you're going. And this is, this is why for uh, depressed people or anxious people, uh, to try to get people to, do, to take the first step and to try to, t- to do even a small thing just to, to get into the right direction is super important because uh, sometimes the only way to win the battle uh, is to take the first step, and this first step is going to immediately reduce your level of uh, anxiety and your level of stress. Well, your stories are wonderful. I assume that all your books are very similar to to these that you're giving us because you're actually giving us stories out of your books, right? Yes, these are the stories. Uh, I mean, the books are just a succession of stories. I mean, I'm not uh, myself a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I'm basically someone who likes uh, history, and in my books, I combine my passion for history uh, with my passion for psychology and personal development. And I have come up with uh, this very, uh, I would say, unusual approach, uh, which is to try to find uh, patterns of uh, success and patterns of failure by looking at uh, different situations in history. You're absolutely brilliant in what you've done. And it's a, 
incredible way to teach people. Many thanks. Uh, and I just want to uh, present you uh, also a, a different strategy, uh, or I would say on top of the others, to reduce stress. This is a strategy that um, it has uh, very much an impact on, on failure. Uh, because whatever you do in life, um, especially if you are doing something which is very complex, like starting a new company or starting a new profession or to establish yourself as a, as a professional, independent professional, or to, to look for a new relationship, uh, the level of failure is going to be very high. Uh, because, I mean, you know, if you start a new company, uh, the level of failure within the uh, initial five years is 90%. I mean, 90% of uh, new startups are going to fail. This is the statistic. Mm -hmm. And um, if you establish yourself as a professional or you, if you are engaged in uh, dating and you are trying to find uh, a spouse or the love of your life, uh, the level of failure is going to be spectacular because uh, it's just the way it is. I mean, uh, you have to try many different things until in the end you become successful. And this is very stressful. It's very stressful for human beings to be rejected systematically. If you are trying to do something very difficult, like uh, establish yourself as a uh, pop artist and you want to be a singer, you want to be a performer, or you want to be an actor, uh, the level of rejection that you're going to have to face is massive. And I have found uh, in history uh, a way to deal with that, which is uh, also very much uh, counterintuitive. And I found this uh, a bit by chance because I was uh, reading a book uh, which is 2,000 years old. It's a book by a Roman uh, author, ancient Roman author. His name was Ovid. And he wrote a book uh, 2,000 years ago. The, the title of the book is uh, The Art of Love. And it's the first book in history about dating. And I found it uh, very interesting because uh, you see how uh, he approached uh, dating in the ancient uh, Rome. Uh, we are talking about uh, 2,000 years ago. And Ovid... Uh, was trying to counsel people that were depressed, that were anxious, because they were unsuccessful. They were much uh, suffering from rejection. They were encountering a lot of problems in, uh, in dating. And of course, the situation in ancient Rome is different from today, because today you have uh, a different environment. But the principles are the same. And Ovid, uh, instead of proposing a positive thinking, which of course uh, it was unknown in ancient Rome, he came with a different approach, which I find uh, very interesting. And what Ovid uh, recommended in his, uh, in his book is that uh, when people are trying to, uh, to find success in, um, in relationships, uh, sometimes it's a sheer uh, uh, numbers uh, play. And you have to play the numbers, and you have to realize that uh, it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of failure uh, to find a successful relationship. And he just encouraged uh, his readers uh, to try different um, approaches and to just to play the numbers and to try to meet more people, uh, especially in ancient Rome, by going to the theater or by going to the forum or by going to the, to the games, to try to meet more people, to try to meet uh, more women or more men, uh, what the, depending on what they are looking for, uh, just to increase the sheer number of people in their lives because this is a very simple and a very effective way as your rate of success and if you're you starting a business or you're becoming an independent professional, you can apply the same principle. Instead of getting depressed and say, okay, I'm not successful, I'm not successful, you just focus on playing the numbers. And the more, the more people you meet and the more customers or potential customers you meet, uh, the more successful you become. Now, I actually have um, a friend that did that. She was looking for a husband and she worked so hard, went to 
every event, met lots of people. She probably met thousands of people over quite a few years. And ultimately, she found her husband. Well, uh, <laughs> and it was a numbers um, game. Uh, it was an absolute numbers game. Yeah, these principles, uh, they, they always work. The problem is that uh, it's completely counterintuitive because the, mm-hmm. natural rela- the natural reactions of human beings is to get depressed. And when we mm-hmm. face uh, systematic rejection uh, or systematic failure, and this will happen if you're an entrepreneur, uh, you will have to face failure many times because otherwise, I mean, it doesn't work. If you try to start a company, you have any kind of ambitious, any kind of ambitions, it's very difficult to become successful the first time. So you have to be realistic and say, look, uh, this is a long-term project. It is worth it. It is going to take uh, a lot of effort and a lot of time, but I'm willing to do it. And if you take this attitude, I think you can stay uh, very much focused and very much um, uh, with, you, you can keep your peace of mind even you have to face uh, rejection and failure in the short term. Well, you've given us a great gift today. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can purchase your books? Because they're quite valuable. Well, it's very easy to, to find my material. Uh, if you type my name, uh, John Vespasian, on Google or on Yahoo or any, any search engine, John Vespasian, if you just type it, you will find immediately my books um, uh, in different um, uh, places. They're in Amazon, they're in Barnes & Noble, they're also in the, in the Apple uh, store. Mm-hmm. And you will also find my, my blog and my website. So you just type uh, John Vespasian on Google and you will, find it, uh, you will find it immediately. Now, do you post to your blog on a regular basis? Yes, now I'm posting uh, every more or less 10 days. I post a new article. And uh, you will find uh, hundreds of uh, previous articles in my blog. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your very, very early morning from the yeah, Netherlands. Many thanks, um, yeah, many thanks, Denise. It has been a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, I look forward to talk to you again. Wonderful. Thank you, John Vespian. Bye-bye for yeah, now. Bye. All right, listeners, that concludes our show for today. I learned a tremendous amount from him, and I encourage all of you to go get his books. Thanks for now. Join us again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time. That's 7 o'clock Eastern Time. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit gotcancernowwhat.com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What?